Get your Bibles, go with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, just two verses, verses 15 through 17. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Hey, man, it's about around this time. About, about, about maybe, maybe a little bit later on that I would have taken the time to introduce our guest, our guest speaker today. Um, normally would be uh, pastoral anniversary. Can y'all believe it's been 10 years? It has been, well, 12 years when you count the two years as interim. I, I still count those two years. Oh, yes, baby. I was working. Amen. So all together, 12 years, but 10 years officially. And let me tell you, what one thing that has changed, I love Hopewell more now than I did 10 years ago. I love Hopewell more now than 18 years ago. When I first came through those doors, I had hair and some nice waves 18 years ago. But y'all done love me with hair and no hair. That's real love. Y'all love me through my transition with having it going from hair, full head of with nice waves to being bald and I am so honored wherever I go I am honored to pastor the awesome people at 400 East Main Street y'all so this is a celebration not just for me and my family but celebration a celebration of pastor people relationship pastor people partnership for the past 10 years so can we celebrate our anniversary of 10 years being together amen 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 I know somebody saying, Pastor, read the text. I'm still standing. Amen. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. It reads as this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the court. Uh-oh. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you've been following us over the past six weeks, we have been in a series entitled Finding Comfort in community. Man, we have had an awesome time. I've had an awesome time of teaching and preaching this as we've been walking over the past six weeks of looking at what does this whole thing. We started this series when we got ready to launch our small groups back in May and it has just, back in March, uh, but it has kind of transitioned into not just finding our place um, within small groups, but finding our place within community, including the local church, being a part of the body of Christ. And so we have taken these past six weeks weeks to investigate what the text has to say, what the scriptures have to say about us connecting, by us growing together, doing life together, and building relationships together. It's been absolutely amazing. It's been even better over the past few weeks that we've had people in person as we have been doing this. And while I'm talking about that, man, I, I'm just so glad to see y'all faces this morning. So glad to see our church mothers, Mother yes. Simon, Mother Robinson, amen, and Mother Matt. Can y'all help me praise God for our church mothers? Amen. I thank God for him. Amen. Being in the house. I tell you, it's great to have some folks in the house. And it's even greater now because who wants to be here wants to be here. And those that, that want to be here, they're here. And we, there's no pool. They're trying to get people to praise and worship God because we came with our minds made up. If I come all this way and have to register, I'm going to praise God while I'm here. So I'm thankful, thankful for that. So over the past six weeks, we have been looking at the scriptures 
to see what does the Bible have to say about us being together and doing life together and building relationships together and praying together? What does the Bible have to say about us being a part of a community? I've said this from week one and I would say it again all the way up until now that it was never a part of God's design for you and I to do life by ourselves. It was never in, it was never a part of God's mind for us to be long, long ranger Christians that we just go through this thing by ourselves. We realize that in us being a part of the body of Christ, by us being a part of the local church, God has united us with a spiritual family. God has connected us with some like-minded people for us to be able to pray together, to do life together, and to build relationships together, whether that is in a small group, whether that is in participating in a ministry, or being a part of the local church as a whole. God has designed community for us to have a safe place. Everybody say safe place a safe place for us to be able to do life with people that even if we're struggling with something that we have a group of people that can be able or should be able to if they're spiritually mature and read the scriptures to be able to walk with us through struggles to be able to walk with us through ups and walk with us through downs that we just want we just don't want a church family there or be connected with a group of people just when everything is going wild where everything is going great but no having a family of faith having a community of faith to be able to support you and to back you up when life gets crazy. Many of us can be able to attest to the fact that life can get crazy and if life has not gotten crazy for you yet, just keep on living and life is going to get crazy at times. Well, Pastor, I've already had some stuff get crazy. Well, keep on living and some more stuff is going to get crazy in your life. But the blessing, everybody say the blessing. The blessing is that when I'm connected to the local church and I'm connected to community, I have people that can have my back have my back every step of the way that I can have folks in my life, in my circle, in my life that when life gets crazy and I don't have the strength to be able to pray for myself that I have a brother or a sister that can discern in the spirit what's going on and can be able to lift me up before the Lord that when I cross their mind they may text me, they may call, they may they may come by the house and do a drive by ding dong ditch and get in their car and wave at me for a distance but they can let me know that I was on their mind and that they care somewhere or down the, somewhere along the road all of us are going to need somebody to lean on we're going to need somebody to be able to support us and to be there with us when life gets hard. But here it is, thanks to God, over the past two weeks, we've been looking at this whole idea about restoring one another. We've been looking at this whole idea when it comes to sin and the church's approach and the church's response when it comes to that. Here it is, thanks to God, we just can't celebrate the fact that we have a church that's supportive. We just can't celebrate the fact that we have a church that bags us up when, when we have ups and downs. But we also need to thank God for the fact that even within the body of Christ, when it comes to correction and discipline, uh-oh, I lost my church. That when it comes to correction and discipline, we realize that that still belongs within community. My father used to say something to me. 
that I did not understand, and I did not understand until I had my own kids. When it came to a point to be able uh, to discipline, there, there, there were moments, I, you know, people have different stories about getting whipped with extension cords and different stuff like that. I didn't have that experience, praise the Lord, but my father had this thick belt, had this thick belt that was passed on from his father, uh, my grandfather, and it had my grandfather's name on it. My grandfather's nickname was Buddy, and that was on the belt engraved. This was a thick Mississippi belt, y'all. This wasn't just a belt that you bought at Walmart. This was probably something handcrafted, amen, in the wilderness. I mean, this sucker was thick. It was thick. And it had, it embedded was B-U-D-D-Y. And my father did not wear this belt all the time. There were moments when we would go out. I remember this when we were going to a family function. My father had his had his uh, black cowboy boots that he kept in a paper bag that he had just taken. Many of you that's from Chicago, from the west side, that he would take it to Shine King to get the shoes shine, he would put them right back into the bag, that paper bag, and he only he left them in there only to be worn during special occasions. He had some overalls that had just okay. been freshly pressed from the cleaners that my father would wear, and a white shirt with a white hat that he would have on with his cowboy boots. He only bought the belt out on special occasions when he was getting ready to go somewhere special or if him and I was getting ready to have a conversation. <laughs> my father would have the belt in hand, and he would sit me down, and he would say, Chip, by this time, I done start crying. You know, I'm hyperventilating and stuff. It's that slow walk down the hallway because, you know, even now today, my father can call my name, and the way that he calls my name, I know what the conversation is about to be about. So I'm slowly walking down the hallway, and I, I, I mean, you think I'm speaking in tongues. My lips are just shaking. I'm trying to get words out. You thought I was tearing for the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to get stuff out, Sierra, trying to figure out what's going on. And he called me in the room, and he has the belt in one hand. He's sitting on the bed, and he tells me. He would start the conversation off like this all the time. He would say, Chip, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I didn't say it with my mouth, but I'm thinking in my head, what in the world are you talking about, Willie? This hurts you more than it hurts me. You're the one with the belt in your hand. You're the one that's getting ready to whoop me. How in the world does this hurt you more than it hurts me? I could not fathom in my mind. You are the one that's hurting me, sir. I'm not hurting you. You're the one that's getting ready to put this belt on my behind. How in the world can you say that it hurts me more than it hurts you? I did not understand what my father was saying until I had my own kids. I understood. And I got it. Because even though daddy did not want to discipline me or correct me, he realized, get this you all, that discipline, when done right, is a form of love. My father understood it. He got it. He got it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it then until I had my own kids. But it helped me to be able to understand over time. Many parents can be able to attest to the fact that discipline, when it is done right, when it's done right, not trying to destroy a person, not trying to break a person down, but when it's done right, it is a form of love. Jesus even said, he even paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus even said that he chastised those whom he loved. He disciplines those that he loved. Okay. If he did not discipline us, the Bible says we will be considered bastard children, meaning we had no father. And God understood that because you belong to me, because my son has bought your life with his blood, I must discipline you because I love you. 
So even when it comes to correction within the body of Christ, even when it comes to discipline within the body of Christ, when done right, I know, I know, I am not naive or oblivious to the fact that there are some churches, there are some pastors that have abused church discipline and have, and have I mean, created an, an atmosphere of fear, a culture of fear within the house of God, and people have been more afraid of the pastor than they were of God. They have tainted what church discipline is. They have tainted what correction is. Correction, excuse me, church discipline and church correction by no means should be an avenue for the church to destroy a person. Church discipline, church correction should not be something that's manipulated to get folks to do what you want them to do that has nothing to do with the word of God. Church discipline should be, church correction should be, should be, should be. This is in place. This is enacted first because of the word of God has put it there and because we want you to be able to be restored to the full, in, the original intent and the full purpose that God has for your life. Discipline when done right is a form of love. Because the goal, here's the goal, here it is, saints, the goal, the goal, even when it comes to, even when it comes to discipline, even when it comes to correction, the goal is always to restore the fallen. The goal is to always get the brother or the sister back up on their feet. Why? So that they can be put back in order and be made whole and be useful again. The purpose is not for the fallen to stay fallen. It's not for them to stay there. The purpose is for them, for you and I, to be restored, put back in order, so that we can be useful again. So I want to help us, I want to help us to be able to clearly see why Jesus puts this in his word, to clearly be able to see the steps that you and I have to take when it comes to correcting, even when it comes to correcting each other, even when it comes to confronting sin in somebody else's life, even when, even now with our text, when it comes to when someone has sinned against you. Because believe it or not, Though we save, love the Lord Jesus Christ, you get groups of folks together, something's going to happen. Conflict is going to happen. And here it is, saints of God. Let's, let's go ahead and talk about it since we're already here. Conflict does not always have to be bad. There are some great things that can be able to come out of conflict. There are some great conversations that can be able to come out of conflict. We have to change our perspective, how conflict looks and how conflict can be handled. We have to change our whole perspective to see that there are some great things that can be able to come out of uncomfortable situations. They can be able to come out of uncomfortable conversations. That we have to grow beyond the fact of being afraid of conflict, but to be able to, but to be able to adjust and to be able to adapt the conflict when it happens and use the word of God in how we need to handle the situation because here we are again right here. How we properly and biblically correct another believer exposes our spiritual maturity or our lack thereof. I'm trying to help us, y'all. I, I, I want us to be able. I want us to grow. I want us to be able to grow. I want I want us to be able to grow. I, we need to grow. I want all of us to be able to grow. And how we properly and biblically correct another believer exposes our spiritual maturity or our lack thereof. We spent the time um, last week and a few weeks before then looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, when Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's telling them, he's encouraging them that if you, that, that, that he's encouraging 
encouraging them that, hey, when things happen, how to be able to suffer along with somebody, how to help another brother carry their burdens, how to be able to help the fallen when they have fallen. Here it is, saints of God. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. If we're going to restore another believer, you and I have to make sure that how we do it is done by what the book says and done how the book says to do it. And in the midst of us confronting how another brother or sister may have sinned against us and how we handle it, here it is, is going to expose if you and I, if you and I are just religious or if we're spiritually mature. All right. Because there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference between being religious and being spiritually mature. I'm going to say it again. There is a difference between being religious and being spiritually mature. I, I, I had to go. I had to go and apologize to a friend of mine that had, that had that was confronted by someone that came to them and told them, well, you know the reason why your child died, right? And they said, well, no, why did my child die? The reason why your child died um, is because you and your child's mother are not united together in a holy matrimony. I heard it. I immediately got the phone and I called them. I said, sir, I apologize on behalf of the body of Christ for someone who is religious and lacks spiritual maturity that has come to you and told you why your child die. Here it is. This is where we have to be careful Bible readers because here's what people will do. They would take the scripture. They would take the story of when David has slept with Bathsheba and, 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 and the man of God came and said, hey, your child is going to die. And we realized, we realized the child died because of David having Uriah killed and he slept with Bathsheba and tried to set it up to be able to cover it up. You all know the story. I don't have to go down the line of the story. You know the story. And they would use that scripture to say, this is why your child may have died or because you were out there in fornicating and doing this and they're not biblically intelligent enough to be able to get what the author is trying to say. The author in that text, in that story, is making clear and point that sin has consequences. All right. Because that's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter if you lie to your child playing Monopoly, it's going to be a consequence on that. If you cheat on your spouse, there's going to be a consequence to that. So any level of sin, there are going to be consequences to the sin. But to say to a person, not even recognizing their grief, it does not matter if you're married or not married. To lose a child hurts like hell. Because here's what I've realized. Spiritual maturity is not predicated how long you've been in the church. Spiritual maturity is not predicated on how many ministries you serve within the church. Because I've come to realize, and I've been in church all 36 years of my life, I've come to realize that some people that have been in church for the longest and serve on most of the ministries know nothing about the word of God. They know more about their denominational doctrine and what the pastor may have said, but never what the word of God has to say. And because they're not biblically intelligent, they have no idea how to interpret the text to mean what the text is saying without putting in their own thoughts. Oh, I wish I had a church in here that could be able to help me preach this morning. 
And so when I lack biblical intelligence and don't know how to be able to interpret the word of God without trying to insinuate my own thoughts or my denominational thoughts, I say some foolish stuff that can be able to hurt people and turn people away from the house of God forever. So how we properly and biblically, biblically confront and correct another believer will soon expose your spiritual maturity or the lack thereof. Paul was trying to get the Galatians to be able to understand Sierra, was trying to get them to understand, hey, 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 because I love the way that Paul had it all set up. He started off with Galatians chapter 5 telling them how, how they're free now by the spirit of Christ. And he talks about the fruit of the spirit. And then right, bam, right there, Galatians 6, 1, he has them to be able to put it into place in your life if you have not if you have not allowed the spirit of Christ to help you to develop patience and, 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 and long suffering and self control and the fruit of the spirit before you open up your mouth you may need to do some self evaluation first to make sure why that you're not trying to hold, hold people accountable to a standard that you're not even trying to fulfill in your own life Oh, what a hypocrite it would be of me to stand before you all and say, oh, you got to live holy. You got to live right. But I'm out here, as Pastor Lee would say, slipping and tending, grinning and sinning. I can't say it like Pastor Larry Lee, though. He got that Tennessee country accent, and he asked him, I'm still learning it, though, praise the Lord. It would be hypocritical of me to stand before the saints of God and to charge you to do something that I'm not trying to live myself. There was a pastor, funny story, there was a pastor that got up in the pulpit, and I mean, he was just going off on his members for playing the lottery. I mean, condemning them, telling them, you're not right, you're not being a good steward of your money, you're going to hell, all this other stuff. And then they turned the news on and realized, wait a minute, that's pastor on the news. He just ran, he just won the lottery. So the very thing he was preaching to his people against was the very thing that he was living. Got to make sure that what I'm trying, and the Bible even tells us, and I'm paraphrasing, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look at the speck that's in your brother or sister's eye when you, when you have the whole Bantera Center in yours. He says, don't, 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 don't be so judgmental that you can see everybody else's sins, but you can't see your own sin. So before we correct, before we confront, we, we got to make sure, we got to make sure, we got to make sure, we got to make sure that you, that you and I are spiritually mature, that we are allowing the spirit of Christ to do a work within us, that we're allowing ourselves to be sanctified by the spirit of Christ to be able to work within us, to be able to get that old man out because Paul tells us in Galatians as well that there's always and there will forever be a conflict of our spirit and our flesh at war at each other, our spirit spirit wants to do what pleases God, but our flesh wants to do what, what pleases the flesh. Right. So I got to make sure that I'm not being hypocritical, Sister Deborah, that I'm not trying to hold somebody to a standard, Jerry, that I'm not even trying to do in my own life. Mm -hmm. So, Pastor, if I'm going to, if you're encouraging us to embrace this whole thing of church discipline and church correction and how do I deal when another brother or sister has sinned against me? What do I do? What, 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 are, what are the steps that I need to take that when someone I know served within ministry done lied on me 
And they don't think that I know that they lied on me. They keep smiling in my face, smiling, hey! Even online in the virtual sanctuary, they find me on the chat. Hey, reply to me, hey, how you doing? But then talked about me like a dog. <laughs> how do I confront a brother or sister? Because right here it's so clear, it's so clear, clear. Jesus is talking about other believers sinning. Now, we, 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 we can't hold, we cannot hold, thank you, Holy Ghost. We cannot hold unbelievers to a standard that belongs to believers. But Jesus here is talking strictly to believers that have been confessing the name of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. How do I confront a brother or sister that has gone out and got a PPP loan in my name? How? How do I deal with another brother or sister that has, not unintentionally, but intentionally sinned against me? Because believe it or not, beloved, somewhere along the road, there's going to be an issue between you and another brother or sister within the body of Christ that we're going to have to come back to this message and see, okay, how do I handle this in a way that's proper and biblical? Here's the step. Step one for restoring another believer. Look at what Jesus says. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Here it is. Jesus is real clear. Step one, he says, you address them directly and you address them privately. Oh, I, I, I got to stay here for a little bit this morning. He's, he says, you need to address them what? Directly. And you need to address them what? Privately. Let me say it again. He says, you need to address them what? Directly. And you need to address them Privately. Jesus here, he sets it up. All right, okay. Somewhere down the road, you're going to have another brother or sister that is going to sin against you. I know this because I know the nature of people. And so because I know the nature of people, sinners and, listen, saints and unsaints and, and, and sinners and the saints, all that. I know Jesus knows folks. He said, so I got to put something in my word. They can be used as a go-to, as a manual for us to learn from and then for us to be able to live out when conflict arises. He says, when it happens, mm -hmm. go privately and point out the offense. He says, address them directly, in other words, and address them privately. This is where spiritual maturity, Sister Mary, is revealed or the lack thereof. If I have a problem with Brother Victor, first thing that I should do before I even say anything is to take this stuff to the Lord in prayer and pray about it, pray about it. Okay, Lord, Lord, because listen, you might be hot in the moment. You might be mad in the morning. Lord, come get your son. Come get your child, Jesus, because I'm about to lay hands on them, and I will pray that they recover later on. Lord, I got things I want to say to them that is not in the Bible. Father God, help me to be able to handle this the best way that needs to be done. And listen, even after praying,
another mature believer that will be a, a, a safe place, an outlet for you to be able to get the steam off of you and to help you assess the situation from a different perspective. Oh, you got to be mindful. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You got to be mindful because even when I go, even when I go and vent to someone else, Brother Lily, I got to make sure that they are spiritually mature. I have to make sure that they are spiritually mature. And I got to make sure that I'm not using this as an avenue to be able to gossip. And I've never gone to Brother Victor about nothing at all because here's what we do within the church. Here's what we do. We will have an issue with somebody and act fickle with them all the time won't talk to them, we'll go around them, we'll dodge them, but everybody else in the church knows we got a, I got a problem with them. Uh, we, 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 know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know how to treat folks. We know how to throw spiritual shade. We know how to throw shade and still be saved. We know, because then that's when we get all biblical with our words and stuff. How you doing, my brother or sister? I'm blessed in the Lord. How about you? Knowing that we have an issue with that person because of something that they have said and we do a disservice because now what we have done because I have not gone to him directly, I have not gone to him privately, what we have done now, we have created a door for the enemy to be able to come in and cause strife and division. Why? Because we won't take the time to go to them directly and we won't take the time to go to them privately because once we go to them privately and once we go to them directly and here's another thing that we have to learn, saints. We have to learn how to open up our mouths and talk. Praise God. I know we need, we need to breathe speech back to the church, amen, to help us to be able to learn how to communicate and how to be able to articulate and how to be able to say, hey, Brother Victor, I, you know, I just... And maybe you didn't mean it, but listen, last week you did you said such and such, you did such and such, and it hit me, it hit a different way, it came to me a different way, and then it allows the opportunity for Brother Victor to either say, you know what? I'm sorry. Because sometimes, sometimes what we see as an offense, the other person on the other end didn't mean for it to be that way. Didn't mean for it to be that way. It could have been something that was done or said unintentionally, but we will overthink and assume because we haven't communicated with the one that we feel has offended us to allow them the platform to communicate, hey, you know what, I apologize. I didn't even realize I did that. I didn't even realize I said it in that tone. You know what? Better yet, I probably did come that way. I was having a bad day that particular morning. I, I, I was having a bad day. I was on my way to church. Listen, I went by Dunkin' Donuts, and it was all out of coffee, and it just turned my whole day around. And I came to church, and, had, and I had an attitude, and I didn't realize that with my tone, it came off that way. Why? Look at what Jesus says. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. He says, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Here is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand that I told you in the very beginning. The whole point is restoration. The whole point is to be able to solve whatever the issue is so that we can get back together, be in community, and do what God has called for us to do. 
Because even when it comes to conflict, even when it comes to an offense, here it is, thanks to God, we need to handle it properly, biblically, and we need to handle it quickly. <laughs> because the longer we wait, it begins to fester. And we got strife. We got teams now in the church. Because you done built your team because you done told everybody what happened. And now, now you got a team of folks that's mad at Brother Victor, and Brother Victor ain't did nothing to them. And so he's trying to figure out, well, how come half the church is looking at me cross-eyed every time I show them where to park and stuff? I, ain't, I don't even know them. They just joined the church. I don't even know them. They on Facebook Live giving me, they on Facebook Live crossing their eyes at me. I can't even see them. What, about, what did I do to you? Creating teams and never creating the space for a simple conversation to happen. And when I fail to go to him directly, when I fail to go to him privately, sister Annette, right then and there, my lack of spiritual maturity has been revealed. Got the best dance in the church. Got the best tongue in the nation. But I lack spiritual maturity. Because I wanted to go to my brother or sister and confront the offense that is taking place. Why does Jesus say go to them directly? Why does Jesus say go to them privately? Because before you get other people involved, you can get the situation handled just between you and them. And nobody else will have to know. Ain't that what Ron Oxley said? He was talking about something else. I'm talking about something else. But we've gotten the situation handled, just me and Brother Victor, and nobody will know what done went on. i never forget, Chief and I had words over something. I just, I couldn't believe Chief had came to me in a way. I just, I couldn't believe that he came in. I just, I didn't know what to do. And I just, I left church. I was getting ready to get back in the car. I was so angry. I came back in. I went in the trustee office. And we sat down and we talked. We got everything handled. And it was all well and fine. Nobody, you didn't even know about that till today. Because I never told anybody about it. Because we were able to handle it behind closed doors. When I can't go to them privately, Sierra, when I can't go to them privately, Brother Kevin, the issue now is not them. The issue now is me. Because I won't go to them and deal with it. Here it is. Thread it within the text. Here it is. You got two options when it comes to this. You can either address it or you can dismiss it. Whatever you choose to do, think it through before making a final decision. Wait a minute, Pastor. You, you're confusing me. You got two options. I can either address it or I can dismiss it. If I'm going to address it, I need to do it properly. I need to do it biblically. I need to do, the, do it quickly. I, and I got to commit that first step of going to them, going to that person, he or she, directly and go to them privately. If I'm going to, if I'm going to dismiss it and never have a conversation and say, listen, I'm, just going, I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to suffer along with this brother or sister. Whichever you decide to do, pray about it first 
Think it through first before you make a decision because whatever your decision is, addressing it or dismissing it, you want to be able to live with it. All right. Because here's what we do. Here's what we do, saints. I'm just going to dismiss this one. I'm just going to put it on the cross and put it under grace. But then you wait two years, and then you go off and expose. And now I just thought about it, and on April the 25th, 1968, you looked at me a certain way during communion, and then you came back to church on October the 7th, 1972 at 2.30 p.m., and then you like, wait a minute, hold up a second. I thought you put it on the cross. I thought you put it under grace. We in another century and in a global pandemic and you bring this stuff up from 1968? If I'm going to dismiss it, I need to let it go and let it go all the way and don't use it as arsenal for later on. <laughs> I don't want to use it. I don't want to keep it in my back pocket just in case. They do something to say something, look at me the wrong way. I can bring it back out. No, what if God did that to us? What if he said, oh, before I bless you with this, let me go ahead and go back to when you did such and such and said such and such. No, no, no. The Bible says, the Bible says that when he forgives us, he throws it into the, he throws it into the sea of forgiveness. I like what one text says. One text says that when he forgives us, he tramples on top of the mere evidence so it can never be found to come up against us again. If God is gracious and kind and forgiving and not looking to hold on to something to use against us later on, and we say that we are children of God, how come we ain't acting like our daddy? How come, how come there's no resemblance to Jeff? I, I, I think. Whatever you choose to do, think it through before you make a final decision. But if I'm going to address it, Mother Anna, I owe it to my brother and sister to come to you and say, hey, Here's what you did. Here's how it impacted me. I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know if it was unintentional. But this is the impact it's left on my life. And it presents the opportunity for that brother or sister to communicate and to own up to what they may have done intentionally and what they may have done unintentionally so that you could be able to walk away knowing I've won the brother over. I've won the sister back. And I've kept strife and contention now within the church, within the body, because I didn't. I went to them first. We'll make a bigger impact about somebody sleeping around in church Oh, they know better, but don't want to say nothing about the person that can't shut up. And if we want to assess the situation right, heck, their gossiping is causing more problems in the body.
They both are wrong, and we shouldn't have them in different categories because they both are sins. I need, I'm hurrying up. Oh, Lord, it's 11.10. Okay, I'm hurrying up. I got to address them directly, and I got to address them privately. I'm going to end with this right here. Here's a moment. That's why I thank God for passing. I ain't got to be in a rush to finish. Praise God. I, listen, because I'm going to be right back here next week. I ain't going nowhere. We're 10 years here, baby. I ain't going nowhere. So here it is. So the question, the question that I got to open up and ask myself, this is going to hurt a little bit. Is this really an offense or are your insecurities being revealed? Because threaded within the text, Jesus says, if you, if another believer sins against you, go directly to their brother so that you could be able to handle the offense. Some of us are easily and overwhelmingly offensive about everything. I can't pick at everything in your life that you may do. Oh, but they didn't wave at me at, at Walmart. They didn't know who you are because you had your mask on. We don't know who nobody is now with masks. Folks be waving, hey, pastor, I don't know who they are. Hey, praise God, I see you. I don't know who they are. <laughs> they tried to pull the mask down for a little bit so I can see the eyes. Oh, that's you, man. All right. <laughs> Mad because they didn't wave, but they didn't see you. I know when I go to the store, I'm on a mission, especially Walmart. I'm on a mission because I know if I stay in there too long, I'm going to get something I don't need. And then get mad when I get to the counter trying to figure out how did these five things end up being $2,076.02? We done all been there before. Don't look at me like that. We done all been there trying to figure out, wait, what? Oh, I did get there. You're trying to negotiate. Okay, we'll put this back. I'm going to keep that. And then folks behind you mad. Hold, I'm almost done. Hold on. Hold on. saying, huh? Okay, we down to 1900 Okay, we'll put these two things. Uh, how much is it? I thought this was 50% off. It's not? No, it was on the wrong. That sign said, can you call somebody to go back there and check? So everybody in line still mad. I'm not going to be that. You would do the same thing. Hold on, okay? Call somebody because they said it was for, no, it was under 50. You need to honor that. It was un Somebody put it back in the wrong place. It wasn't me. I need that 50% off on that. Y'all know how we do in the store. We're going to get that 50% off before we leave that store. And whoever we holding up in line, open up another aisle. I'm not leaving until I get my 50% off on this thing. Is this really an offense? Or are my insecurities being revealed? Is it really about them not waving or is it I lack affirmation and validation? And when little things like that happen, it triggers something. I go back to my childhood. I go back to growing up. And so in that case, the issue is not really them, that there are some wounds and some healing that needs to take place on the inside of you. That you need to submit to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me with these insecurities that where I thrive and I crave affirmation and validation from others. I'm done. I'm going to stop right there. We'll finish next week.
restoring one another. The whole aim and goal, even with dealing with conflict, I want, I want to walk away having gained that brother back, that sister back. so that there is no strife or contention between either one of us and so that we don't create a door for the enemy to come in. Because let me tell you, he's going around like a roaring lion looking to see where can I get in at. Where can I, where can I be able to maximize on somebody's insecurities and get some stuff started in church? The Lord, just even in these past few weeks of teaching this and even in just even some talking and conversation, um, I don't know exactly when. Yet. It's going to be connected with, with some preaching that I'm going to do in the next month or so. There's going to be a time of consecration for us as a church. Time of consecration is a time for a church. Where there's going to be a time, and I, I hate it that we can't all be together like I really want us to, but we're going to make it do what it do. There's going to be a time of consecration, time of prayer, time of fasting, a time for us intentionally in the word, a time for allowing the spirit of God to search and examine in our hearts to see where we're at which will lead to confession of sins and that will lead to repentance. And if I'm sensing, if I'm sensing in my spirit what I believe the Lord wants to do is going to break out into a revival. And I'm not talking about a five-night service because we can't even do that now because of COVID, but I'm talking about a spiritual revival, a spiritual renewal, a refreshing that would take place that's going to impact our prayer life our worship life and our world life why because some many times many of us we're so, we're so bogged down by sins that we don't even realize that we have not even confessed and let go of know how we repented from and even some stuff that we're that, 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 that we're so caught up in that we're so we're, we're so comfortable with now mother Lou we don't even realize we're entangled in the same sin no more that we need our eyes to be open That the word of God will be a light to open up our eyes that we may see where we are with God. Which will lead to confession of sins, which will lead to repentance. And then which will lead to a revival. I know it. Even the timing of us going back into the, coming back into the building for worship. All a part of, the, of God's divine plan for what He's about to do with us. I know when I said fasting, I, I, I struggled with it myself. Some was like, "Oh God, hopefully we do the Daniel fast. It won't be the Daniel fast." No, honey, when we fast, just look at Mother Simon. She ready, Mother. Simon. <laughs> Listen, if you want to fast, Mother Simon, ready. Do you hear me? She ready. But when we do it, it won't be no. It's going to be, we're going, we going for it because that's something God wants to do in our hearts. There's some things that God needs to deliver many of us from.
strongholds that's going to be broken. That I'm telling you, that's going to lead to a great revival, a great outpouring, a great refreshing that we're going to experience as a body. Even somebody watch me now, watch. Once they put the information out, I'm not doing it. And that's cool, boo. You ain't got to. I'm going with the goers. I'm going with those that want to go and want to do. After 10 years, I done learned, listen, I'm not going to keep trying to beg folks to do. Who's going to do is going to do. If you're not, you may miss out, but we're going. <laughs> I'm going to go with those that want to go. And we're going to make it happen and see what the Lord is going to do. Amen? Come on and put those hands together.